Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in today to the JTP Church Podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message. If you want to share with us what God is doing in your life, you can write us at hello at jtp.church. If you would like to partner with us and make a financial gift to our ministry, you can visit us at www.jtp.church to make a donation. Now sit back and enjoy the message. Four-week series we're starting today on growing and going. How many people are going places here? Come on. At least prophetically. Growing is a natural process. When something is healthy, it grows. If you water a plant and you take care of a plant, it's, what's going to happen? It's going to grow. It's going to grow. If you don't water a plant, if you don't put a plant in the sunlight and it needs sun, what's going to happen? It's going to wither, dry up, and die. Well, this is the case not just of plants, but of us as well. I have two kids. The normal course in life is seeing them being born as a baby and seeing them grow. They start walking, right? They start talking. They start growing. It's the natural process. Somehow, somehow in the church, spiritually, we don't apply the same growth principles. We could fall into the mistake of just coming to church and being the same people week in and week out, the same people year in, year out, sometimes decades past, and we're at the same level. And God does not want that for us. I want you to look at the person next to you and tell them, we need to constantly grow. So that's what we're going to be talking about these four weeks. And I was reading an illustration about a group of tourists. These tourists were visiting one of those picturesque, beautiful towns that sometimes we see, you know, pictures of when people are trying to sell some type of travel package, right? And this group of tourists was visiting this beautiful town, and they passed by an older man that was sitting by a gate. One of the tourists, in a derogatory way, he asked the old gentleman, he said, has any important man ever been born in this town? Did any, did any important man ever come out of this town? And the older man replied, nope. No older man has ever been born in this town, only babies. <laughs> when we came to Jesus, the Bible says that the day that we opened our heart and we accepted Jesus Christ as our own and personal Savior, we are born again. Everybody say born again. The Bible uses that term. It's born again. We're born of the Spirit. Now, that could have happened when you were six years old or at 60. Whatever age you do it, it's the beginning and you're a baby. You're a spiritual baby. And you can give a baby steak, right? When a baby is born, what do you have to feed a baby? Milk, right? You feed a baby milk. There's certain things that you can do and that certain things that you cannot do with respect to a baby. So as you grow up, though, what's natural, you start eating differently. You start adding stuff to your diet and things change. Here at JTP, we understand from the Bible that from the moment we accept Jesus, spiritual growth starts. We are babies, but we're growing babies. Look at the person next to you and tell them we need to grow. So what we're going to do is we're going to tackle this subject uh, on different angles for the next four weeks. Today we're going to talk about how we can grow inwardly. And basically we're going to talk about the process of sanctification. The Bible talks a lot about this. Unfortunately, these days in the church, we don't speak enough about this process. And it's so evident and so important so that we can grow healthy in Jesus. So our goal is to be more like Christ. Amen? Everybody say, my goal in the Christian life is to be every day more like Jesus. That's what we should point at. That's what we should strive to accomplish. Week two, next week, we're going to talk about how we can grow outwardly in influence because God has commissioned us to do something, to not just enjoy all that God has left for us, but also to be able to pass that on to other people. Amen? So we're going to talk about growing outwardly. The third week, we're going to talk about how we can grow in times of crisis. Unfortunately, some people think that when you're going through problems, your growth stalls. And sometimes the greatest growth takes place in times when you're going through serious stuff in your life. God sometimes allows certain things to happen in your life, and we don't see it at the moment, but God is actually taking us from this level to the next level through that adversity that we're going through. So we're going to talk about growing in times of crisis. And last but not least, we're going to talk on week four about growing in community. Because God never destined you to do life on your own. God is a social God. That's why he created us. He didn't want to be alone. He said, I want to create 
people. I want to have a relationship with a bunch of my sons and daughters, and I want them to worship me, and we want to do life together. And that's the reason why uh, we are called to do life in community. It's a lot easier to serve God when you have people alongside that are going to pray for you and challenge you, and, and you can be accountable to them. So we're going to talk a little bit about how we can grow also in community. So having said that, that's a review of the next four weeks. How many of you are ready to start and dive into the Word of God? All right, cool. Let's go to Romans chapter 6, verse 20. Romans chapter 6, verse 20, and we're going to read all the way through 22. And it says this. I want you to pay attention to two words in here. Slaves and free, okay? Slaves and free. He says, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. When we were slaves to sin, then we had the freedom to not do what is right. And he says now in verse 21, what was the result of that? Well, you are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. I want you to know that this is not fictitious. There is an eternal bliss called heaven. It's an amazing place where all of us should go. But there's also an eternal doom. The Bible talks that hell is a real place. It's a real place. So when we are slaves to sin, the outcome is hell. That's what he's talking about here, an eternal doom. But look what happened. The Bible says in verse 22, but now, everybody say now. That's the moment that we accept Christ in our hearts. You are free from the power of sin. So no longer are we slaves. Now we are what? We're free from the power of sin, but have become slaves of God. So we're still slaves, but only that our master changed. Our master's no longer sin. Sin is an evil master. Now we are slaves to Jesus. We're slaves to God, and it's a slavery that is welcomed. How many say amen? It's a slavery that's a blessing. And, and maybe when you hear that word slavery, it could, you know, because of things that we've lived in the past and social injustice and a lot of things, it could ring a bell in you and you could see it with negative connotation. But here, it's the same thing as being a servant of God. And because we are now slaves of God, the power of sin has no authority over our lives. And then it says this. Now, you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. If you have your Bible there, underline that. That's so powerful. Now that we are no longer slaves to sin, we do those things that lead to holiness. So one of the things when you come to Christ, sin loses its grip on you. But now as Christians, we need to grow to make sure that we are doing the things that lead to holiness. Touch two or three people around you or at least look at them and tell them we need to do things that lead to holiness. Why? Because they will always result in eternal life. How many of you guys want eternal life? To get there, we have to do the things that lead to holiness. So, if the teaching on holiness is not balanced, it can so easily be misconstrued. And let me explain what I mean by that. I grew up in, the in a very legalistic church when I was young. Because that's the church that my parents grew up in. I came from Argentina and in Latin America back in the days... There was a very big emphasis on sanctification, but very little emphasis on grace. So it was all the things that you had to do, and if you don't do it, you're going to hell. And it was, if you're not careful and you don't balance sanctification with grace, you turn out like a Pharisee. It's a condemning message. So that's how the church was when I grew up. When I was young, it was very condemning. But now I, I've seen that, generally speaking, the, the balances have turned, and now we give grace, instead of a balanced way, we give grace a little bit too much. And what happens when we focus more on grace, we feel like we have a license to sin. I mean, I, I messed up. You know, God knows I'm not perfect. So, you know, I just ask for forgiveness and move on. And, and the problem with that is that if you have that mentality, you're never going to strive and get on your knees and say, God, I'm weak in this area. Holy Spirit, give me the strength to overcome this because I don't want to just settle to being a Christian that's, that's sick and getting up and sick and getting up. I want to be the powerful church of Christ that has authority given by God to do amazing and supernatural things and to influence others. How many say amen? So if, if we don't have a, a balance of preaching about grace, but also preaching about sanctification, we're going to settle to be a spiritual hospital, but never the powerful and victorious church that God destined us to be. How many say amen? 
So I want to talk to you today about the importance of living in holiness. And I want you to go with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 through 16. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 through 16, it says, But now you must be holy in everything you do. We need to be holy in what? In everything we do. Just as God who chose you is holy, for the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. How many of you guys believe that we serve a holy God? So here the apostle is actually challenging us to be holy like God is holy. How many of you agree that that's a tall order? I mean, to be able to be like God, I mean, I'm just a mortal. I'm an imperfect person. How can I achieve holiness? Let's start by here. What is holiness? Holiness is living in a state of total devotion and obedience to God in all aspects of life. For those of you taking notes, I'm going to say it again. What's holiness? When the Bible talks about sanctification and holiness, it's living in a state of total devotion and obedience to God in not just some, but all aspects of life. In other words, it's living by the book. If God says I should do something in this book, I'm going to do things God's way and not my way. If God says that I shouldn't do certain things, I'm not going to do those things because I don't want to offend God. I want to live in holiness. I want to do what's right before God. So having said that, I want to just be able to set some people free here because some of you guys are freaking out saying, "What? I should have just gone to the beach today, okay? So no one has the capacity to sanctify themselves. You, it's not by buying and going to Barnes and Nobles or going online to iBooks and, and finding a self-help book. How can I sanctify my... You're not going to do it. You don't have it in you to live a holy life. It's not going to come from you. Only God sanctifies people. Only God can sanctify and change me from being a sinner to being a person that walks in holiness. It's not a process that I can do. Now... I have to be involved, and that's a little bit of what we're going to talk about today. I can't just say, oh, God, sanctify me. Uh, see, see how you do it. Uh, God, what's going on? I sinned again. I guess you're not working. I'll wait until you do it. No, you have to be involved in the process. You have to be involved. So we'll talk a little bit about that. But no matter how much you try in your humanity to be holy, you will not succeed. I'll tell you what will happen. You'll get frustrated. You'll end up suddenly for living a powerless Christian life, never overcoming sin, and never influencing other people around you. So go, to, go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. We're going to read a lot, so if you're taking notes, I'm, I'm going to give you the verses and try to go a little quickly. But look what 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 says. Because we have these promises, God has left us in the word. Some people say 2,000 promises. Other people say 3,000. Regardless, it's a lot of promises. He loves us, and he left us these promises. you got to know what God promised you. Because if you don't know, if you ignore it, you don't get to live it. You don't enjoy what you ignore. So that's why we need to read the Bible. What does God say about my healing? If I'm sick, there's promises of healing. If you ignore it, you won't enjoy it. Understand? Okay, so he's saying because we have all these 2,000 or 3,000 promises, dear friends... Let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile or contaminate. That's another word that another version uses. Anything that can contaminate our body or spirit. So everybody say, when I sin, I contaminate my body or my spirit. There's two things that are being contaminated every time we sin. And then he says this, and let us work toward complete holiness. What should we work for? Okay, we're talking about growing as Christians. You can't just come to church. Christianity is not just about coming and listening to a message and saying, oh, I'm encouraged. Uh, I'm praying to God that he helps me get a better job and do all these things and not be involved in growing because God says here that we need to work toward complete holiness. How many of you guys know that work takes work? It takes work. If he's saying that we have to work to our complete holiness, it means you have to be involved and there's things that you're going to have to do. Now, again, I remind you that holiness comes from God. 
but we need to work to achieve it. It's you and God working as a team in conjunction to be able to reach this that we call complete holiness. Why? Because we fear God. So I was meditating on this this week, and this morning I woke up, and I'm like, I wonder how many of us today, when we got up and prayed this morning before doing anything, we said, Lord, part of our prayer was, Lord, help me reach complete holiness. Help me walk in holiness today and overcome sin. Forget about today. I wonder when was the last time or if ever we ever prayed a prayer like that. Well, we should. Part of our growth is our desire to be conscious about it, to say, God, I want to be better today than I was yesterday. The things that I struggled with yesterday through the power of the Holy Spirit, today it's got to be easier for me to overcome and say no to those temptations than they were yesterday because I'm growing. Everybody say, I'm growing. So this is something that we have to pray about. Paul is urging us here to seek full holiness, not partial, not in everything except that area in my life that's my Achilles heel. No, he says complete holiness. As a matter of fact, we need to tackle our Achilles heel, our kryptonite. Y'all know which is the areas in your life that it's difficult or more difficult to overcome. Some people may have problems with money, but maybe for you it's not money. Maybe for you it's sexual immorality. Or maybe it's not sexual in nature, but maybe it's just that you're so used to lying. It's like become a part of you. And God, how, your word says that I shouldn't lie. But I can't stop. Help. <laughs> so we need to pray about these things. Praying is not just trying to get God to do things for you. It's trying to get God to complete his work in you so that you reflect him more to other people. So part of that is praying for sanctification. Hmm, not so many amens today. Let's talk a little bit about this now. He's talking about contaminating and defiling our bodies and defying our spirit. Did you know that there's certain sins that when you sin, you're not sinning against your spirit. You're sinning literally against your body. Go with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 and 19. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 and 19, it says, run from sexual sin. What does it say? <laughs> it says run. The, the old school Bibles used to say flee, right? Flee. It means take off. It means don't even contemplate. Don't sit down and say, oh, but she's hot. Should I consider it? Run. <laughs> don't have time to even think about it. Why? It says no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. Pay attention, church. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. You're not even sinning against your spirit. You're sinning, obviously, against God. Every sin is against God. But when you have sexual immorality, commit sex outside of God's parameters, and let me just say, God created sex. The devil did not create sex. Sex is good. Sex is amazing when it's done right. But obviously, the devil always grabs what God creates, that it's amazing, and he always tries to manipulate it to steal, kill, and destroy you, because that's, that's his objective, right? So it's saying here that no other sin, there is no other sin so clearly that affects the body as this one does, for sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. You're committing sin against yourself. You're messing yourself up. Don't you realize, verse 19, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you? Come on, everybody say, God lives inside of me, Right? Now, God is not sitting in heaven. Part of God lives inside of me. I am the house of God. God doesn't live inside a building like this. We come here to worship him, but God lives inside of you, and he lives inside of me if you open your heart to him. So he's like, how are you going to do these things that come and defile and contaminate your body when your body is the house of God? You do not belong to yourself. These are some strong words. Sexual sins. What are sexual sins? We don't have time to get into that. But pornography or having sex before marriage, that those are out of the parameters of God. When you do that, you're opening the doors for sin to come and contaminate not just your life spiritually and separate you from God, because that's what sin does, but it messes up your body. 
In many ways, through sickness, you're opening your doors to a lot of things that sometimes are transferred because sex is not just a physical thing. When you have sex with the person, the way God created it is that that is the consummation of a unity between two people bringing them into one, which means that all the messed up issues that that person has, spiritually, it's transferred over to you when you have sex with that person. So if that person was depressed, all of a sudden you have sex with that person and, and you're like, man, I've never been depressed in my life. What's going on? Well, you open the door and your body now is experiencing depression. And you go through all these things. A lot of people don't understand this. But it's saying here that when we sin, we, when we sin sexually, we sin against our bodies. Now some things also pollute and contaminate our spirit. Everything else Works of the flesh, you, you can read in the book of Galatians, I don't have time to get into that now, but it talks about the works of the flesh. All these things contaminate our spirit and create separation and distance from the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to use the rest of my time to share a story that's in the Bible from the Old Testament that talks about um, priesthood. And I know when I, sometimes when I mention the word priest or when we hear the word priest, the first thing that comes to mind is a, like a Catholic priest with the little white collar, right, not the whole nine yards. But the Bible says that every person that's given their heart to Jesus, you have become priest. You're a royal priesthood of God. So I want you, if you've opened your heart to Jesus, if you let him in for him to forgive your sins, if you're trying your best to walk a life that is in agreement to God, I want you to see yourself as a priest. Look at the person next to you and tell him you're a priest. You're a priest. That's right. <laughs> you might say, I don't, I don't consider myself much of a priest, but, but you are. God says it. What do priests do? They minister. That is, that is why God gave his son for us so that we could be cleansed of our sins, but not just so we can enjoy salvation, but so we can influence others as priests. So go with me to Ezekiel chapter 44. And today I want to talk to you about two different kinds of priests. Or more specifically, two different kinds of priesthoods. And everybody here belongs to one of these groups. You're either in one or in the other. And I want to start with one here in Ezekiel 44.10. We're going to read 10, 11, and then we're going to skip to 13 and 14. The Bible says this, And the Levites who went far from me, everybody say far from me. That means they didn't do what God ordered them to do. They were in disobedience. But they were Levites. Levites were the people that led worship in the temple, right? The Levites, the people that would draw people to the presence of God. It's funny how you could be in the ministry leading people to God and yet you're far away from God. It's possible. So that's what it's talking about here. These Levites who went far from me when Israel went astray, who strayed away from me after their idols, they shall bear their iniquity. But look at what verse 11 says. Yet they shall be ministers... In my sanctuary, as gatekeepers of the house and ministers of the house, they shall slay the burnt offering and the sacrifice for the people like they used to do back in the days, and they shall stand before them to minister to them. But, everybody say but. Verse 13 says, and they shall not come near me to minister to me as priest. Okay? They shall not come near me to minister to me. God is saying this. As priest, nor come near any of my holy things, nor into the most holy place, but they shall bear their shame and their abominations which they have committed. Nevertheless, I will make them keep charge of the temple for all its work and for all that has to be done in it. So going back in history, just so that you can know what's going on here, there was a priest. Uh, Israel used to have the high priest. This guy was like the priest of all the priests. All right, and there was always one. And usually uh, priesthood was followed uh, by their descendants. You, it wasn't a voting thing like we vote here in the United States. When a high priest died, their sons would take over. That's how it would work. So here in, in this time period of the Bible, Eli was the high priest. And the problem with Eli is that he had forgotten what it meant to be a priest. He started falling into doing things just for doing it, and he forgot the reasons why God put him in that place and what he had to do and the reason why he had to do what he had to do. 
So he had forgotten what it meant to be a priest and a minister. The Bible tells us a few things about where he went astray. It, it mentions that he got really obese and he was always sitting in a chair. The Bible says that, which is a spiritual representation or spiritual analogy for being consumed for the flesh, for, for not, not living in the spirit, but living more in the flesh. The Bible also says that he, towards the end of his life, he was blind, which talks about lack of vision. He forgot his purpose. He forgot why he was doing what he was doing. Uh, he was um, lazy also. He was undisciplined. He would not discipline his children. The Bible says that when the people would come to church, his kids would sleep with all the women that would come to church, and he wouldn't discipline them. He'd say, kids, kids, don't do that. Can't do that. We are servants of God. Right? He wouldn't discipline his kids. So God was really upset with this type of priesthood. It was a spiritual disaster, yet he was in ministry. Yet he was the top dog. He was the high priest. People would look at him and say, wow, I want to be like Eli. This guy is, he's the high priest. Wow, what a privilege. God talks directly to him and he talks to the people. It's like, this guy must be the holies of holies, right? This guy must be legit. But he was a spiritual disaster. So I want you to listen to me because this text proves something. That personal sin does not stop ministry. Listen to me. Personal sin does not stop ministry. And this is a mystery to many of us because sometimes, you know, we hear in the news about a pastor having a moral failure or somebody that was very well known and very influential. And we're like, but how could it be? But, I mean, people were being saved and so many miracles happening. And now we found out that he was, you know, he was up doing these things in, in private and messing up and, and with these moral failures. How could it be? Well, it's because personal sin does not stop ministry for a season. The Bible says in Romans eleven twenty nine, it says, For God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. So yeah, the Bible says that God has given every one of us something supernatural, a gift, a talent that we can use to bring glory to God and to bring people close to him. Every single one of us, maybe you haven't discovered what yours is, but every person that's alive right now has received a gift from God. The Bible says, we just read it, that those gifts cannot be withdrawn. God doesn't say, oh, you're messing up. You know what, I'm going to remove this gift, and now you're no longer going to minister with authority. You're, not, you're no longer going to have uh, the gift of healing, the gift of this, the gift of faith. No, they cannot be withdrawn. Everybody say, the gifts of God cannot be withdrawn. So now you can see how somebody could be Failing morally in secret, but at the same time in public, ministering. And you would never know that this person is doing bad stuff or not following Christ the way he should. So when God gives a gift, he doesn't take it away from you when you make mistakes. A person may be sinning, and for a season, God will allow that person to minister in his gift and minister in his anointing. Now, this message that I'm speaking today, this is not just for pastors. I know we're talking about priests, but like I said, every single one of us are priests. How many say amen? Right? The Bible says that we are royal priesthood. That once we come to Jesus, we belong, we belong to him and we become part of a royal priesthood. So this belongs to everybody, not just pastors or ministers of worship or those of us who have the privilege of stepping into this sacred place where we stand and do what we do. It's for everyone. Now look what Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11 says. I love this verse. I, I saw it yesterday and I go, I have to share this. It says, when a crime is not punished quickly, people feel it is safe to do wrong. When a crime or a mistake or when something's not punished quick, quickly, that person can feel that, oh, it's safe. I could get, a, I could go, I could get away by doing this. They feel it's safe to do wrong. So I want to tell you that inside every church, there's always two kinds of priesthood. And we just finished talking about the first one, the priesthood of Eli. Eli was wrong. He was doing things the wrong way. He wasn't doing things God's way. He wasn't doing things the right way. But God still uses him for a season. 
they will serve the people in my sanctuary. That's what God said. These are the priesthood that turned their backs on me, that did things that I didn't like, but I will allow them to continue to minister in my sanctuary. But, verse 13, they will not approach me or minister to me. So they will minister to the people. They will still do the things that they would do in church and whatnot, but God's heart wasn't moved. God's heart wasn't touched when they would minister. So God is saying, I love you so much that I will let you play your instrument. I'll let you sing, preach, serve with your gifts, and I'll give you time to change your ways. And even if they are wrong, the word never comes back empty. The Bible says that when you speak the word of God, the person can be living in, not in a way that doesn't please God, but the word is so powerful that it, coming out of your mouth, if there's somebody that needed that word, it's going gonna, it's gonna to work the way the word has power to work. It's going to still change people's lives. I mean, God loves people so much that he'll use anything. He'll, he's used the donkey before or not. He's used the worm. He's used the whale to teach people situations and not read your Bible. Remember Jonas? Yeah. And Balaam? So Eli's priesthood is impure, and it is the priesthood that compromises principles. That's what's symbolic of Eli's priesthood. We compromise principles. No, I could get away with this. Oh, I mean, come on. God's going to weigh me. I mean, I have 98% of the Bible, you know, I, you know, I try to be right with. I mean, God understands if I don't tithe. Or God understands if I have a difficulty forgiving others. I mean, God gets it. You know, he knows I'm, I'm not perfect after all. And we try to, you know, cover up. And we try to just justify the areas of our life instead of tackling them and getting on our knees and say, God, like we just read at the beginning, God, I want to reach to be, to receive this perfect holiness. I want to I be perfect. I want to be more like you. As a matter of fact, those areas are the ones that we have to tackle. Your kryptonite, the things that you know that you're more prone to fall, those are the areas that you have to tackle and ask the Holy Spirit to give you strength to overcome. And maybe for some of you guys, it's sexual in nature. You know, you just see somebody with a skirt, guys, and that's it. You know, it's like you forgot you're a Christian. What, what day is it? What year? Right? And you forget about everything. And your, your flesh wants to take over. Well, that's your kryptonite. But maybe for you, it's not sexual in nature. Maybe for you, it has to do with money. Because your God is money. And money controls the way you think, controls what you do, your time, your everything. Or maybe it's not that. Maybe it's lying. Maybe it's a bunch of things. We need to tackle these things and make sure that we allow the Holy Spirit to help us overcome it. If you give the Holy Spirit opportunity to help you, you will overcome. There's nothing that God cannot help you overcome. How many believe that? Can we give God praise? It's just a matter of letting God in and being vulnerable and saying, God, I can't do this on my own. I'm weak, but I want to please you. I want to reach for this complete holiness, so help me overcome this. And the minute you persevere in that, it's not going to be one day, but when you persevere because you really fear God and you want to do right by him, he's going to give you the opportunity and he's going to give you the grace to, to be able to enjoy it and receive it in Jesus' name. So Eli's priesthood is symbolic of all that's impure. It is the priesthood that compromises principles. I can live as I want and my gift just continues to work. So I don't have to change. But God is so kind, so merciful. He's patient and he waits. It says, yet they shall be ministers in my sanctuary as gatekeepers of the house and ministers of the house. And they shall not come near me to minister to me as priest. And this is one of those verses that should pop out and should stir up fear of God in your life. To say, man, I don't, don't want to, in my walk with God, I, I don't want to just be a person that talks nice to other people and say, oh, you know, you're cool. And that people see the gifts that, I, that God has given me. I want to touch God's heart. When I worship, I want to touch God's heart. I'm not, I mean, people being transformed and, and being you know, receiving the anointing of God through the gift that I have should be secondary. But my audience should be one, right? I, sh I should want to minister to God before ministering to anybody else. May God free us to minister and serve God and not to do it as an external performance. You know, I lived this, and I shared this in the first service. When I was uh, a little kid, I remember we went to Argentina. I was born in Argentina. 
came here when I was a baby, um, but I still have family there. So I remember that Argentina was experiencing an incredible revival. This was in the 80s, late 80s. And uh, people were getting saved left and right. Uh, Christian churches were buying all the movie theaters. Movie theaters were closing down. Christian churches were buying them. Christian churches were having 10 services a day on weekdays. 10 services. And I remember, I, I, I lived it. I went with my dad, I was just a kid, and I remember seeing people line up waiting for one service to be done so that they could open the doors and come in, and it was a constant inflow, just people hungry for God. It was just crazy. And one of the greatest ministry that God lifted up during this time, um, they, were, they had many churches and people just were being healed, were coming to Christ, being set free of addictions, just powerful, powerful stuff. But I remember as time passed, uh, it started hitting the news that the, one of, this pastor, the main pastor of that ministry, had moral failures, multiple. He's, you know, kids started popping up that he had kids with certain people in the leadership, and it was just a big mess that till this day in Argentina, people remember Christianity with a negative connotation because of what this guy, you know, because of his moral fault. But it was incredible, even years after all of this happened, he continued to be in the radio. And I remember people telling me in Argentina that they would just listen to him and the gift would just flow. It's like you were a Christian and you wanted to give your life to Jesus all over again because, I mean, he had such an anointing to convict you of sin and to, and to want to draw closer to God. And it was incredible. And, and, and you have to understand that the priesthood of Eli does not mean that you don't have a gifting because you could still flow in your gifting, but God said, you will not minister to me. Now, let's end it there. Let me show you the other side of this. Let me show you the true priesthood and what God wants us to follow. This is called, this is called the Zadok priesthood. And I want you to go to Ezekiel, the same chapter, 44. But now we're going to read starting in verse 15. And as you search for it in your Bible, I want to ask you, and I want you to answer this in your mind, what kind of priesthood do you want for your life? What kind of priesthood do you want for your family? Do you want something that looks religious, where everyone thinks highly of you? Ooh, person looks so holy. Look how he worships. He comes to church every Sunday. But you're defiled on the inside and contaminated? You know what? It may work for a season. You'll be able to minister to people even, but you will not minister to God. And I don't know about you, but I want to enjoy my life. I want to make the most out of my life. I want to have a good time. But I also want to strive to, work, to live in holiness. I also want to strive to be pure and to please God. Anybody with me here? Yeah? All right. So look, let's look at this other side of the coin. Verse 15 says, but the priests, the Levites... The sons of Zadok, which is another group, who kept charge of my sanctuary when the children of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near me to minister to me. Isn't that powerful? And they shall stand before me to offer to me the fat and the blood, says the Lord God. They shall enter my sanctuary and they shall come near my table to minister to me. And they shall keep my charge. And it shall be whenever they enter the gates of the inner court. Notice that the other guys, they were in the outer courtyards. They were the doorkeepers on the outside. If you remember the, the old tabernacle, there was the holies of holies, the holy place, and then the outer courtyard, right? Well, the, the people from the Eli priesthood, they had charge of the outside. But the Zadok uh, the Zadok priesthood were what? On the inside. So that's what it's saying here. He says, and it shall be whenever they enter the gates of the inner court that they shall put on linen garments. No wool shall come upon them while they minister within the gates of the inner court or within the house. They're inside the house. Verse 18 says, they shall have linen turbans on their heads and linen trousers, or another version says linen underwear, on their bodies, and they shall not clothe themselves with anything that causes sweat. All right, don't worry. A lot of symbolism here, a lot of things that they used to do back in the Old Testament that we no longer do now. But what is God trying to say? What is the difference between this type of priesthood versus the Eli? Well, it says, you see, when God looks at you, 
does he see you wearing your linen underpants or not? It says that for them to be able to go inside the house, have access to God, to minister to him, where the other priesthood did not have access, they needed to wear certain things. They needed, and one of the things that it mentions is linen underpants. Okay? And you're, you might be saying, well, why is God so worried about their underwear? Right? Well, it, it, there's, uh, their underwear signified what man cannot see. Okay? That's what it meant. It meant their personal holiness. It meant, what, it, it meant what I cannot see in his life or in her life or in his life, but it means that God could see it. So he says, when you minister to me, look, I want to make sure even what man cannot see that you guys are wearing the right thing. It talks about personal sanctification, right? No one knows the color of the underwear you're wearing right now, right? Or if you're even wearing one, right? Only God and you. And don't worry, we're not going to check. <laughs> Nobody knows. It's your private life. It's in private. Nobody can see it. So he's saying, man, when you minister to me, you got to make sure that not just your public life, what other people see on the outside, but your private life, your sanctification, who you are when nobody sees you, that has to be right with God as well. How many say amen? He's talking about his private life. So check this out. I'm finishing up. The two priesthoods are in the house of God. Both of them are in the house of God. There are those who have an outer courtyard relationship with God. They're saved. They come to church. They even serve, but they refuse to cleanse their inner self. They refuse to deal and take with God the issues in their life that need to be sanctified and need to be dealt with. Whereas, other priesthood, which is the Zadok priesthood, these are the people that tell God, Whatever you want to do with me, whatever you want to deal with in my personal life, in my private life, I'm here. I'm ready. I want to please you in everything. I want to be transparent before you, God. I'm not even conformed or satisfied that I'm 95% holy. God, if there's areas in my life that still need to be worked out, God, take me. Take me to where you want to take me. I want to bear it all. I want to be vulnerable, and God, and I want, I want to admit to you that I have this flaw, and I have this area in my life that I need to fix. I'm a liar. Or I blow up on people. I have a bad attitude. I steal. I stay with stuff that doesn't belong to me. I have sexual, you know, I, I'm prone to, to watch porn, and I can't. I'm bound to it. Help me, God. That's the Zadok. And in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, if a priest were to go into the holies of holies without wearing his underwear, what God said, the Bible says that they would fall dead right there on the spot. You see, there was, to get into the holies of holies, there was a, like a, a huge um, a veil. And only the, the high priest can go in there once a year, and they, they would tie a rope around his leg and his robe had like bells all around, you know, all around. So only he could go once a year to the holies of holies. So there was some other priest on the other side holding the string. And they would always listen for the bells. Because if they didn't hear the bells, that meant, that meant he was up to no good. And he fell dead. So the rope was to bring him out. Because they couldn't even go on the other side to get him out. I mean, that's all holy things. And thank God for grace. Thank God for grace, because otherwise we would all be fried. But because of grace, we have the opportunity. Listen to me, and this is, this is the whole purpose of this message, is to, for you to understand that there's grace that covers multitude of sins, that through Jesus dying on the cross, now we can come, and as long as we bear on, we say, God, look, help me. I got this issue. I have these tendencies. God, I, I, I want to do right. I want to reach complete sanctification. So help me, Holy Spirit. Help me be more like you in this area. And if we do it, we are, represent, we are representing the Zadok priesthood. Those that are not just conformed to, you know, playing a part and making everybody... Because we can fool people easily. You can fool your pastor. You can fool your family. You can fool a lot of people. But you don't fool God. God knows your innermost thoughts. God knows everything. And when you come and you bear it all to him, that's something that God can work with. So thanks to Jesus, we have access to grace. And how many of you are thankful that God is patient? Right? 
How many can really admit that God's been patient with you? I know I'm the first one. God's been patient with me. He's patient. He waits and he gives us time and, and a second chance and a third chance and he's waiting. He says, I love you and I'll wait for you, but, I, but you can't minister to me until you fix that. You can't minister to me until you fix that. So you could be successful in your business and that doesn't tell me anything about your personal life. You could be, you could have a huge church. You could, you could have incredible influence. You could have mil millions of Instagram followers. That doesn't tell me anything about your life in private and who you really are. Because only God, only God knows. So I don't know about you. As I finish up here, I don't want to settle to just minister to people. I want to be able to, that when I minister, that God is pleased with my worship. That God says, man, that, that touches my heart. It touches my heart. Because I know you're not perfect. But you've given me an opportunity to make you more like me. And that's all God wants. Right now in this room, there's people from both sides of the priesthood. They're both serving the Lord and JTP. There's people that minister to others. Some seat them. Others welcome them. They sing. We play. We teach kids in Sunday school, uh, park cars, preach, lead life groups. We do all kinds of things in church. They both minister to people, both love God, but one is intimate with God while the other one isn't. One is accepted and the other one is kept at a distance. One is in the outer courtyard and the other one is in the house. And it's not God's decision. It's ours. We are the ones who decide where we're going to be. If we're going to pursue holiness and we want to go and run after our Savior who gave his life for us and say, God, make me more like you. Or we're we just going to just play church and stay on the outer courtyard. Still ministering, still coming to church, but not letting God deal with the things that need to be dealt with. And the difference is all in the underwear. It's on the things that are unseen, the things that people can't see. So there comes a point where there's a shift in priesthood. Pay attention. I'm finishing up. Uh, there comes a point where God gets tired of waiting. And he changes the priesthood. I remember Saul, the first king of Israel. He never would have imagined that a young David that would come in to the palace just to play his art and worship God so that Saul will, not, will no longer be oppressed by an evil spirit. He never would have thought that that young man would take over his position as a king of Israel. But because he didn't let God deal with the things that needed to be dealt with, his pride, his love for people's applause. He never let God deal with these issues. And so in time, even though he was left and he kept ministering, he kept being king for a while, it's like a train. Have you guys ever seen a train break? I mean, it doesn't break on a dime. You break and it, it still it has momentum. And, and sometimes in our Christian life, God is waiting and we're still flowing on momentum. But in time, if you don't fix those areas of your life, you're going to come to a halt and things are going to stop. And God's going to say, look, I waited long enough. So I think that God is challenging us as a church because he doesn't want you to just minister to people. He wants you to minister to him. He wants that when he sees you from, from heaven, that he finds somebody that is willing to bear it all for him. And, and even in your shortcomings and your flaws, that you're able to say, God, here it is. This is... This is my Achilles heel. This is my kryptonite. This is, my, this is what gets me every time, but I surrender it to you. I can on my own. Help me, Holy Spirit. And in time, you're going to see that next week, you're going to be a lot better than you were last week. You're going to see evidences because there's nothing that you ask God for that is in conjunction with the word that he's not going to do over your life if you persevere. And you're going to see that a month passes by and you're going to say, wow. I used to turn my head every time I see a hot girl. And now, you know, I have spirit of self-control. Now I'm waiting for the right one. I understand that, you know, God created me to share my life with one special person. Before I used to see, you know, or I used to get extra change and I used to say, praise the Lord. But I understand that's stealing. So I'm going to be honest and I'm going to say, you know what? You gave me extra change. Here you go. And, I, and, I, and God's going to start dealing with areas of our lives because we let him. How many say Amen. You remember the Pharisees? 
the Bible says that in the time of Jesus, these religious people, they would always be fasting and people would be walking in the street and say, whoa, look, those are the holy people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Look how they fast. They haven't eaten in days because they love God so much. Yet they were all messed up on the inside. They were all egotistical and, and thinking they were better than others. So they never thought that they were going to be replaced by a young Nazarite, by a Jesus that would come to set people free from religion. So it comes down to this. Either you are from the Eli priesthood or from the Zadok priesthood. You choose. You're the one who determines. I think this is Decision Sunday today. What do you all think? I think this is a Sunday to make a decision and say, hey, what team am I going to play for? Which side am I going to be on? And I want to just push you a little bit because that's my job as a pastor. Push people towards God. And I want to push you to living to please God. And I want to finish with this. First Thessalonians 4.1. It says, Finally, dear brothers and sisters from JTP Church, I urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God. Look at the person next to you and tell them, hey, I urge you because I love you because you're my brother and you're my sister to live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. And check this out. In case you are living in holiness, look what it says. You live this way already, but we encourage you to do so even more. So if you're sitting there with your self-righteousness and you're saying, oh, I'm pretty good. I'm doing, I'm doing well. I'm not hurting anybody. You know, I'm walking. I'm not living in sexual sin. I'm not doing it. I'm a, you know what? Do it even more so. Be conscious. Be more excellent for God. There's always room for improvement. And then it says in verse 3, God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sins. It says it again, emphasizing on sexual sins. Then each of us, or I'm sorry, then each of you will control his own body. Oh, it's just that I can't. I have my urges. No. One of the things the Holy Spirit gives you is a spirit of self-control. True man, not a man that sleeps with as many women as he can. A true man is one that's able to control his urges to please God. That's a true man. Will control his own body and live in holiness and honor. Not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. And then verse 6 says, Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife. For the Lord avenges all such sins as we have solemnly warned you before. It's talking about adultery, sleeping with somebody else's wife. And now verse 7, I have this underlined 7 and 8 in my Bible. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Everybody say, God has called me to live a holy life. And let me tell you, I have news for you. You can. Sometimes you see it, oh, it's so hard. No, listen, it's hard because you try to do it on your own. But the minute you let God help you, you're going to see that it's easy. Amen? Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying just human teaching. You're not just disobeying a, a teaching, but it's rejecting God. Hello. It's not disobeying human teaching, but it's rejecting God who gives us His Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask you guys to stand on your feet. And like I said, I think this is Decision Sundays. God is pushing us. And I think every Sunday, every time we come to the house of God, God is pushing us to make decisions. Why? Because he cares for you. God is not a manipulating God. As a matter of fact, if you don't make a decision today, life will go on. God's going to continue being God. And you're going to continue being slave to sin. Nothing's going to change. God's not going to put a gun to, his, to your head. But God loves us so much that he wants you to be everything that he created you to be. He wants you to live in freedom and not a slave to sin. Amen. He wants you to be a slave to him so that you could have eternal life. So that you so that God could find the vessel that he could use to tell other people that there is a way to live holy and that God is the way, the truth and the life. How many say amen? So two decisions. First decision we got to make today, if you've never opened your heart to Jesus, the Bible says that every single man, every single person is a sinner. All of us, you, me, every person has sinned. So the only way to have forgiveness of sin, the only way to have 
everlasting life and to have God himself come and live inside of you is through repentance. It's through admitting that you're a sinner and saying, God, I'm sorry. I don't want to sin again. I want to do right by you. So come live inside of me and help me be everything that you want me to be. And that's done through a prayer. So I want to ask today at the count of three, if you want to do that prayer with me, it's a simple prayer. All you have to do is repeat it from the bottom of your heart. And if you want to do it, I'd love to join you, whether you are here in person or whether you're watching us through YouTube or connected through social media, virtually, uh, at the count of three. If you want to make that decision, I just want to see your hand. Just throw up your hand in the air. One, two, and three. Anybody. Awesome. God bless you. God bless you. Got a couple of people here. God bless you. There's a little girl back there saying, yeah, I want Jesus. Awesome. Uh, there's people also that we can't see, but through faith, we know that they're raising their hands in their homes, in their place of work. So let's all do this prayer. Amazing. Let's say, Lord Jesus, on this day, on this memorable day, I admit publicly that I'm a sinner and that I need your grace. But I thank you, Jesus, for your death on the cross and your victory over the grave because that gave me life. And now I receive your life so that I can be everything that you've called me to be. I thank you, God, for your forgiveness. And I thank you, God, for the opportunity at a new birth and a new life in you, Christ Jesus. In your name I pray, amen and amen. Come on, all those that are born again, put your hands together and give God some glory. Best decision anybody can ever. And now I want to go to decision number two because there's a lot of people here that have, you guys don't have to stop. You guys can keep going. There's a lot of people here that have already accepted Jesus Christ in their heart. But there's areas of our lives that we haven't let the Holy Spirit deal with. There's things that we said, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm mostly, you know, coping with the Word of God. I'm trying to do my best, you know, but th that's not enough. You need the Holy Spirit to come and so that you could reach that complete holiness that the Apostle Paul had been saying. And this is something that you have to be conscious about. Because if you don't have it in the back of your mind, you're going to forget about it. But if every day you wake up and say, God, let me, let me be more holy for you, God. Let me be more separated for you. Let me stay away from the things that are enslaving me and let me be free to be all that you've called me to be. And, and the way we do that is that we renounce to the things that are holding us captive. And today we talked about areas of our life that have us captive. Maybe for you, it's, it's, it's a sexual area. It's in the sexual arena that the enemy comes and messes with you. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's just greed. Maybe it's staying with something that's not yours. Maybe it's your temper that you give everybody attitudes, man. You're always, maybe it's, I don't know what's keeping you. It could be a million things. But when you renounce to those things, when you tell God, I don't want this to have control over me. I want to be free to be everything you've called me to be. And it's definitely not this. So I renounce to sexual immorality. You're going to say it. I'm going to give you a few seconds now when we start praying so that you just open your heart and just tell God. Trust me that he's listening to you. And whatever has you captive, whatever area of your life is your kryptonite or it's your Achilles heel and it's what keeps you, you know, God wants to take you higher, but it keeps you, it keeps pulling you down. You're going to say, Lord, I renounce to this. I renounce. I don't, I don't accept this holding me back. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, God, I'm willing to let this go. Give me the strength, but I want to be the victorious Christian that you've called me to be. How many of you ready? How many of you guys are ready to be able to overcome these things through the power of the Holy Spirit? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're doing supernaturally right now here in JTP Church and in every home and in every place where this message is reaching. I thank you, God, that today through the power of renouncing to these things, God, and through being vulnerable and just showing and opening up to you and telling you we need help with these areas, we believe that this is a freedom night, a night where you are going to set captives free. In Jesus' name, we declare and we renounce now. So I want you to now start talking to God and tell Him, God, I renounce to lies. I renounce to sexual immorality. I renounce, Father, to all these things that are keeping me down, that are not letting me fly, that are not letting me get to be the person that you called me to be. In Jesus' name, I take authority now by the power of the Holy Spirit to order any demon and any spirit of evil, God, that's trying to keep people from being all that you call them to be. God, I order them to leave 
in Jesus' name. I declare victory. God, I declare that every bondage is broken, that every chain is broken now in the powerful name of Jesus. And I declare from this day on that day by day, week by week, month by month, we're going to be stronger, not through our power, but through the grace that we experience through the power of the Holy Spirit. God, and I declare that we're going to stand up as a generation to let this world know that holiness is possible, that there is a God that gives us strength to overcome evil. And all this we pray 